Well, a big thank you to uh, Rod for leading and to Dr. Hurd and the choir. Um, I also feel that on a personal note, I should congratulate Dr. Hurd on his choice of shirt this morning. Dr. Hurd and I know that lavender is in, don't you know? So, uh, good morning, church. We, uh, we are, as, as uh, Rod said, we're continuing in our new series, which is a walk through 1 John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 1. And uh, we looked at the first four verses last week, and we're going to continue this morning looking at verses 5 through 10. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, and reading from verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity to gather in your house and to gather around your word, and we ask, Lord, as always, that your Holy Spirit will be present amongst us to open our understanding that each one of us, Lord, could draw closer to you through your word. In your precious name, amen. Now, I know I've mentioned before that uh, if you're going to preach, it's always nice if something happens, you read something or you hear something somewhere that resonates with what you believe the message is that you're going to be preaching on. It just gives you that extra bit of confidence that you're on the right lines and that you're going to speak about what God wants you to speak about. And that's always a really nice thing. It gives you kind of like a real fuzzy feeling, believe it or not. Well, this morning, I think I had the opposite thing happen to me because I called my father in England because I had some news that I had to pass on to him. So I called him at 9 o'clock this morning, California time, 5 o'clock in the afternoon in England, and it was a warm day in England, unusually, and he was sitting in the garden. So I call him, and he answers the phone, and he answers it in his inimitable style, which is, good afternoon, this is Norman. So I said, uh, hi, Dad, it's Simon, how are you? And he replied, I'm sorry, who is this? <laughs> and so I tried again. I said, hi, Dad, it's Simon, how are you? And he said, ah, Simon. He said, I am sorry. He said, when I picked up the phone, it sounded as if you had a rather girly voice. <laughs> so 
I really don't know what to do with that this morning. <laughs> I'm not even sure you're allowed to say that in these gender-fluid times in which we live. So, I do apologise if I sound slightly different this morning. It's, um, I'm hoping it was due to the fact... He did confess, actually, afterwards that it was a hot day and the handset, he didn't realise, had become very hot. And when he put it to his ear, I think it burnt his ear a bit. So, I'm, I'm hoping that's what explained it. <clears throat> so, anyway... Um, 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10 and, and the title that I gave um, to the, the sermon this morning is Walk in the Light um, because that, two reasons, one that sums up the few verses and secondly it's the title that my study Bible gives to the passage. So a little bit of background first of all, um, this is written as we know by the Apostle John. John at the time this was written was an old guy. He was an elder statesman in the church. It was probably written around about AD 90. And it's interesting because it was written probably before Roman persecution really began. So there was no active Roman persecution going on of Christians. John is getting towards the end of his life and he writes this letter. So he's not writing specifically about persecution. But he's got to the age he's got, and he basically wants to write a letter of advice to Christians. He wants to give Christians some advice, and he wants to warn them about some things out there in the world that could impact their walk as Christians. The other interesting thing about the way in which this letter is written is that he doesn't announce himself. He doesn't give his authority as an apostle. He doesn't say who he is. There's no kind of authoritarian, disciplinarian approach at all in this letter. There's no tone in this letter like that. In fact, the, letter can, the tone of the letter can be summed up by the first verse of chapter 2, where he says, My dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. So this is a man toward the end of his life who has seen a lot, who has accumulated a lot of wisdom, spiritual wisdom and discernment, and he's looking out at the world and the landscape and the environment and the circumstances in which the church is growing and the things that Christians have to contend with, and he decides he wants to write to other Christians as dear children. So he's not authoritarian. He's not stern. He's not disciplinarian. He's not banging the table with his fist. He genuinely is concerned for the Christians that he's writing to. And he's saying, there are things I need you to know. There are things I need to warn you about. And so that's the tone of this letter. He's writing with advice and warnings for Christians, which means that every one of us here this morning needs to sit up and pay attention, because if John is writing to Christians about our Christian walk, then it's something that we all need to pay attention to. And so effectively here, in these few verses we've read, verses 5 through 10, there are four things that I want to look at. Four things we can take from the passage we've read. The first is this. God is light and in him is no darkness. He says that quite clearly, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him 
and declare true you. God is light. In him there is no darkness. Now, you might say on initial reading, well, yes, I know that, that's obvious. So that means you have to check yourself a little bit and think, well, why is John starting by making this the first thing that he says? Why does he say, this is the message we have heard? He's saying, listen up, I want to give you some advice, I want to warn you about some things. The first thing I want to say is, God is light and in him there is no darkness. So the first thing John is saying to Christians about Christians and about Christianity is there needs to be a separation between God and the world. He's drawing a line in the sand, if you like. He's drawing a line of demarcation. He's saying God is light. God is holiness. In him there is no darkness. But the fact that he says in him there is no darkness means that there is darkness in the world. So he's separating good and evil, holiness and sin, purity and impurity. And essentially, this is the true message of Christianity. Whatever the world might teach us now, the Bible is quite clear that man is born into sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that sinful nature of man creates a permanent separation from God. But that separation, we were given a way to end that separation through the birth, death, resurrection of Christ. Through belief in Christ, we can actually breach that separation and we can make our peace with God and we can have fellowship with God. We can be saved. But John now is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. People who have already accepted Christ. And he's still talking about this line of demarcation. Because he's saying the most important thing, or the first thing I want you to understand, if you are a Christian, is that you are a follower of God, and in God there is no sin. You see, the biggest fear, the biggest threat to the church at that time when John was writing was heresy, was a watering down of the Christian message, a dilution of the Christian message. As the church spread out across the world, and it went into the Roman Empire, and it went into Greece, and it went into all kinds of other places where there were different cultures and different belief systems, sometimes it could get watered down. Other beliefs could come in. And they could, they could, if you like, mess with the formula of Christianity. And keep some things, take some things out, and put a few other things in, in their place. And that was a real danger. And guess what? It's a real danger today. And so John is saying, you can't do that. If you claim to be a Christian... You are on one side or the other of a line of demarcation. And that line of demarcation is whether you walk in the light or whether you walk in the darkness. Do you live your life in a way that, is, that follows God's teaching? Do you walk in the light? Do you walk in the spirit? Or do we allow our flesh, our human nature, our human instincts... Or do we allow the things out there in the world to take us away 
and start to blur that line. And so sometimes we're in the light, sometimes we're in the dark. And so that is what John is saying is the biggest danger to Christians. You need to remember that God is light, God is pure, God is holy. There is no darkness in him. So if in our day-to-day life, we do things, say things, think things, that deep down we know would not please God, then we're allowing a darkness to come in and we're not walking in the light. So as Christians, we have to have a different value system to the world in which we live. That's the first thing that he says. Holiness versus sin. Light versus darkness. Self versus brotherly love. Self-righteousness versus compassion. Purity versus impurity. The second thing that John is saying in this passage, and I'm tempted to say this quietly, sometimes Christians lie. Sometimes Christians lie. That's not a nice thought for us to dwell on, is it? But it's what John is saying, and he's saying it in words that leave no ambiguity. Look at verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. So yes, John is not banging the table. He's not authoritarian. He's giving us heartfelt advice. But he's saying we have to be careful because as Christians, we can lie. Lie to who? He's talking about lying to God and lying to ourselves. You know, some of you know I I haven't practiced law since 1986, but I did qualify as an attorney in England and I practiced for a few years as an attorney. We have a very distinguished attorney here at the front of the church. I don't know if he had the same experience as me, but I would, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would say he did. But when I came out of university and law school and did all my preparations and then sat in with my first real client, It was such a shock when I discovered that, you know what, sometimes your client doesn't tell you the truth. (laughs) It kind of shook me to my core. And I wonder sometimes whether God feels that same shock when we lie to him and we lie to ourselves. How do we do that? Well, we don't do it it in a big way. It it, it happens in a kind of subtle way. We lie to ourselves and we lie to God if we allow something to take place in our lives that we really know, deep down, does not please God. I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's not a good witness for the gospel to be an angry Christian. 
but I'm sure we've all met a few in our time. It's not a good witness for the gospel to be a self-righteous, judgmental Christian. Now, the interesting thing is when you read the gospels and you read about the battles that Jesus was having with the Pharisees, in every battle, if you like, or argument that he had with the Pharisees, there was people, you could sit there and you could say, well, technically, technically, legally, the Pharisees had a point. Take, for example, the case of the woman who was taken in adultery. It's always fascinated me that it was the woman who was brought before the Pharisees, presumably there was a man involved as well, but he doesn't get a mention in the story. The woman taken in adultery and she's brought before Christ and apparently she'd been caught committing adultery and the Pharisees said, according to our law, she has to be stoned to death. So Jesus, do you approve? Can we get on with it and stone her? Technically speaking, legalistically speaking, those self-righteous, judgmental Pharisees were right. But Jesus applied compassion. Compassion for the woman who had been brought before him. And at the same time, he asked the Pharisees to check themselves. Before you can bring this woman to me and criticize her, you check yourselves. And if any one of you in this group are completely without sin, then you go ahead, pick up the stone, and let's get on with it. And when that searchlight, that piercing searchlight of Jesus' eyes, were turned towards those men, they melted away. They quietly disappeared. And he admonished the woman not to sin again, and he let her go. We see it again when he heals the man with the withered hand. And he heals this man, he does a wonderful thing. But the Pharisees are all over him again because he did it on a Sabbath. Technically, legalistically, they were right, although their case was a bit weaker here because there was no specific prohibition in the law to heal a man against healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. It said you can't work on the Sabbath. But you see, what the Pharisees had done is they'd taken that basic premises that you can't do any work on the Sabbath and they had built up their own layer upon layer upon layer of interpretations of that law. They used that law, if you like, they grandfathered on top of it all kinds of other restrictions that they said you could not do. And so rather than being amazed and rejoicing at the wonderful healing that had taken place, they went back to their legalism and they went back to their self-righteousness and they went back to their own protection of their own feeling of security because they didn't like this because they'd never seen it before and it was outside of their control. And they said, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. Happened again when the disciples were walking through the field and they were hungry and they took a few ears of corn to eat and there they were again. 
the, the self-righteous righteous, he's all, Pharisees all over them again. You can't do that. That's not right. And that's against the law. They had no concern, no compassion for the fact that these men were hungry and of the, all of the work that they were doing. And so one of the key things I think that he's missing in the church, not the building, but in the church as a whole, in these difficult times, is an absence of compassion. We have so much judgmentalism, so much self-righteousness, so much anger. We're so quick to get into an argument to dismiss me to dismiss people. We miss the fact that Christianity, if it's about anything, is about compassion. It's about love. It's about seeing every person who we come across as a child of Christ, as a brother or sister. And that should be what governs our reaction and the way we react to them. Not to judge them and look at them and assess them and compare them against us or in something else and criticize them. I'll get off the soapbox because we could go on and on and on. And let's, let's say, somebody once said, you know, and these very profound words, when you preach, you're holding like a, two, you're holding like a double-edged sword because it cuts you as much as it cuts everybody else. And yes, I'll hold my hands up and say, I've got involved in silly fights on Facebook over differing opinions and different things that people say and people post something and it really annoys me. But before God, I'm saying to you, you know, I'm trying not to do that. And I believe I've been much better. Because just the fact that something makes us angry doesn't mean we have to do something about it. Why? It must frustrate God so much when he sees us and we get righteously angry and we, that's wrong and I can't let that stand and I'm going to tell them what I think. And you know, in this world we live now, it's gone to such an extent that we have this cancel culture. And don't get me wrong, in some instances, yes, somebody's done something so bad they need to be called up, but it's gone so far now that you, you know, people are trawling through people's histories and they say or do the slightest thing, make the slightest misstep, bang, they're cancelled, done, finished, gone. You know what, do you know what, mate, what really brought this home to me a couple, couple of weeks ago? Our kids came down to stay with us for the weekend. We had a great weekend and we were sitting outside one evening and we played that silly game, I'm sure you've all played it, you know, where you get, somebody puts the name of a famous person on a bit of paper and you put it on your head so you can't see it and everybody else can see it and then you have to ask 20 questions to try and guess who the person is, you know, and I've been playing this game off and on, don't get me wrong, I don't, you know, I'm not obsessed by the game, I've been playing this game off and on for like 50 years. You know, and your questions, the staples, well, am I a man, am I a woman, am I dead, am I a musician, all of this. Do you know what question came up every single time one of my kids had the thing on their head? Am I cancelled? Every time they said, am I cancelled? It's become such a thing now that you get cancelled. 
Could you imagine if, if, if Christ applied a cancel philosophy? None of us would be in this room. None of us. Mankind would have vanished thousands of years ago. Because Christianity isn't about cancelling people. It's about compassion. It's about caring for people. It's about patience. It's about giving an issue that makes us angry to God rather than rushing over there and starting to deal with it ourselves. And so in these times in which we live, as Christians in a difficult world, we have to be different. We have to be compassionate. You remember those, those bracelets all those years ago, WWJD, what would Jesus do? There's so much wisdom in that. There's so much wisdom in that. Because if we all had that ability, before we snap, before we criticize, before we get angry, if we all had that ability just to imagine that Jesus was sitting next to us, I'm sure the way we act would be very different. So Christians lie. Sometimes Christians lie. John says, we, how do we, we claim that we have fellowship with God, but we're walking in darkness. And John says, that is a lie. Consequences of that lie, the third thing. We sing, God is light and him in his, is no darkness. So there's a separation, there's a demarcation line. We've seen that sometimes Christians lie to God and to themselves. And the third is, what is the consequences of that lie? Well, verse 8, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. You see, the background in which John was writing was that there were people who had infiltrated the Christian church who had said, this is a wonderful doctrine. This doctrine that we have a relationship with God and, and God loves us and cares for us. That's a wonderful thing. But they went on to say, what that really means is, because now the only thing that's important is our relationship with God, that it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. Doesn't matter. It's not important. And that was a powerful heresy that was starting to spread in the church. That said, well, if this is all, this is all about our relationship with God, it doesn't matter how, basically, do what you like with your body, because... It's not important. And what John is saying here is, oh yes it is. It's very, very important. Because of this light, darkness, holiness, sin, purity, impurity, the divide that there should be between Christians and other people who are not following Christ. And he says, if we then say, well, we don't have any sin, then we lie. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. It also says, verse 7, and this is really interesting. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The implication of that is the more that each one of us can walk in the light and live in the way God wants us to live, the more fellowship we'll have with other Christians, the more bonding we'll have with other Christians. But the more we don't walk and live in the way God wants us to, we're not going to be able to have fellowship with other Christians. It just won't work. Lastly, because time's gone. What must we do? 
And the first thing John says, well, don't sin. Don't sin. Keep a line in the sand. Keep that demarcation line. Remember what would Jesus do. Try to give ourselves that little moment to pause before we act or speak or snap or whatever and just imagine that Jesus is next to us. Let's treat people, let's treat people as children of God. Second thing John says, if you do sin, because guess what, we're not perfect. If you do sin, then put it right. He says that in verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that's the good news this morning. Yes, we've got a tough target, a tough standard. We need to live the way God wants us to live. We need to treat people with compassion. We should not be self-righteous. We should not be judgmental. We should be caring and loving people. If from time to time we slip we get angry, we snap, we criticize, or we, or we slip into some kind of sin, then as long as we confess that and ask for forgiveness, then that's fine. God will accept our, 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 asset, our plea for forgiveness, and he'll restore us, and he'll purify us. That's a wonderful blessing and encouragement for us this morning, particularly if anybody who feels this morning, for whatever reason, that you've slipped up or you've messed up, and God's angry. Just take it to him. Ask him for forgiveness, you'll be given forgiveness. But this is the third thing, and this is the real core of it, and that is, we need to check ourselves. Not each other. John's not saying, that person sitting next to you, keep an eye on them, because they could get into, you know. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, give a good look at yourself. In the mirror, check yourself. Make sure you're not deceiving yourself and deceiving God. My check engine light is on in my car at the moment. It really annoys me that does. <laughs> it's not red, it's orange, but it's there. And I see it whenever I get in the car and I try to ignore it, but you know, it's there and so. But you know what? It's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. It's saying, hey, there may be something wrong. I know nowadays with all the electronics, it might just be a faulty sensor, but who knows? It's my car trying to give me a hand. So I know you're busy, I know you've got tons of things to do, but at some point you might want to just take me in the shop so the guy can have a look, make sure everything's okay. We all have a check engine light. Because at the moment we're saved and we accept Christ, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so we all know, we, can, we get a little prompting. You might want to call it your conscience, whatever it is. But we, we know, we know, don't we? We really do. If we are honest with each other, something, there's a little check engine light comes on sometimes and we know perhaps there's something we're doing or not doing, something that's not quite right. And the problem is, as Christians, we can ignore that check engine light. It's there for a reason. You know, if you feel your conscience 
pricking you about something, if you feel the Holy Spirit just prompting you to stop doing something, to do something, to call someone, to someone you haven't spoken to for a long time, somebody you've fallen out with perhaps, if you feel that little prompt from the Holy Spirit, just, just take it up. Follow it. You know, we talked before lots of times about how you know, a lot of the early Puritans, they used to do, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep repeating this till you all get crazy bored with it, but every night they would, they would evaluate their day before they went to sleep. You know, and they'd just run through the day, the things they'd done, places they'd been to, people they'd seen, and they would just look through and they'd ask God, look, is there anything I did today that disappointed you or angered you? And if there is, I'm sorry. And they put it right before they went to sleep. Or is there anything today you wanted me to do and I had an opportunity to do, but I didn't do? Again, I'm sorry. And ask for forgiveness. That way, you put it right on a daily basis. Because what happens is, if you ignore that check engine light, and you keep ignoring the check engine light, sooner or later, you don't care about the check engine light. And you can get in all kinds of trouble. And it's the same in, with our walk as Christians. That if we don't put things right on a regular daily basis, something that we've done and we don't deal with, you know, we get anesthetized to that. So next time, we don't even think we're doing something wrong. Although John says, my dear children, he's actually treating us all as adults. If you read 1 John, chapter, 1 John he's, teaching, he's treating us as adults. Saying, look, I love you. God loves you. God wants to bless you. But you've just got to check yourself. Make sure you're not deceiving yourself. Make sure that your life is the way it should be. Because if it is the way it should be and you're walking in the light, then God can bless us in ways we could never imagine. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much because you love us so much. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder from John, Lord, that we have a responsibility, Lord, as Christians to walk in the light and to be constantly on the lookout, Lord, for anything that might drag us towards the darkness. Help each one of us to check ourselves, Lord, to be vigilant, to be serious and honest about our faith. And if anything comes in, Lord, that is weakening our relationship with you, Lord, help us to put it right in your precious and worthy name. Amen.